Matthew chapter 19. We've been speaking about the home here for a few Sundays. I'm not going to go on and on and on with this, but there's a thing or two we need to that I would like to cover. I think we need to, but then uh, then we'll do something else. All right, it's important stuff. Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, we're going to read to start with here. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave his leave father and mother? and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. That's a question. Did you ever read that? Y'all ever read that in your Bible? <laughs> These guys are Bible scholars he's talking to. They know the Bible. And as you read on in the chapter, they, they let that be known. You know They know what they're talking about. He said, didn't you ever read this? Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Alright. Father, thank you for the songs. Thank you for the time we've had together already this morning. The Word of God is good. Thank you. Please bless now and help us with this, I pray. Help give the understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. There's things that are controversial that there's no, there shouldn't be any controversy about. This is one of them marriage. It's very plain in the Bible. There's no no gray areas. There's no doubt about it. The lesson that we take from this right here, just this scripture, going to read some more, but is that, the, that marriage is permanent in God's eyes. What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. That means neither one of you or anybody else. Nobody's got a right to dissolve what God has done. In any matter, but in marriage especially. Marriage is a big, big old part of God's creation. Therefore, well, is that what he said? Uh, and for this cause shall a man leave father and mother. And for this cause, what cause? Because he made them male and female. Yes. And, and the twain shall be one flesh. Lots of things in life are not permanent. That's for sure. Your home's not permanent. <laughs> we've all lived in different places different houses your home's not permanent but your marriage is your job's not permanent but your marriage is even the church you belong to man I've seen a lot of churches come and go in my time as a Christian I've seen them start and finish and die gone, quit, disappear they're not permanent local churches are not permanent Fact, but your marriage is. You, the friends you have, you can go back, all of us can, into different periods in our life. We had a whole different set of friends, didn't we? Very few of us have lifelong friends. I've got maybe two or three that have been my friends as long as I can remember. But the rest of it has been a changing thing all the way through. None of these things. Your health is not permanent, is it? No, it's not. 
We all know that. None of these things are permanent, but your marriage is. A lot of people call it tying the knot. That's the word we use for it, isn't it? We, have you tied the knot? Or they're going to tie the knot. Had a preacher tell me one time at Sarah's wedding, I think, when he went out the door, he said, Boy, brother, you tied that knot awful tight. He said, Well, I meant to. And God does. So that's what we need. It is a tight knot. It, and it's a knot that can't be untied without massive damage to every life that is touched by it. Marriage is permanent in God's eyes. It's a done deal. It's not to be dissolved. It should be fixed so firmly in our souls and in our mind that marriage is final, that we would not even entertain any other thoughts about this matter at all. It used to be that way. When you got married, you were married. I mean, for better or worse. We all said that when we got married, didn't we? And it don't matter. I heard somebody say, well, I didn't know it was going to be this much worse. <laughs> it doesn't matter. There was no end caps put on that for better or worse. And people just didn't dissolve their marriage. You know, we've talked about John Wesley and what his wife was just, oh my goodness, she was, the, she was terrible. But he didn't divorce her. No. He couldn't live with her, but he didn't divorce her. Known a lot of situations like that where it was impossible, but they didn't divorce because God put them together. So I don't say it like that. Well, you just don't believe God. That's all there is to it. It should be fixed firmly in our minds when we, before we get married, when we're thinking about it. All the children ought to be brought up to understand that this is the right concept of marriage. This is not the concept of marriage that the world around us has, or even that the church in general has anymore. Or even those who decide to get married now, they don't consider it that way. They think this is a trial thing. We're going to give this a shot and see how it works. If it don't, why? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of fish in the sea. This is not a permanent thing the way they enter into it. They think, if, you know, I'll just get I heard I've heard a Baptist preacher say that. If she won't follow you, get rid of the... He called her a bad name and get you nothing. I heard a Baptist preacher say that. That's the world we're living in. And I'm telling you the general attitude of everybody and the general concept that everybody has marriage is not what God has about marriage. They think it's easy to get into and easy to get out of. It didn't used to be that way. You know, it's only been in recent decades here that it that you could get divorced, no fault divorce. Just call, call it in what do they call it? Uh, irreconcilable differences. The only reason you could get a divorce not very many decades ago in this country was because was because of adultery or abandonment. That was the only two excuses. <laughs> Not anymore. You don't even have to do nothing. You don't even have to get a lawyer anymore. You can just go to the court down and say, we're done with this, we want out of it. And just sign the papers and you're done. If you're not going to fight over the kids or the, or the property, that's unusual when, you, when they don't fight over everything. Amen. In spite of what the Bible says about marriage and what has been universally understood, standards of marriage... For thousands of years, it's now looked at as a trial thing. If it doesn't work out, we can just simply say goodbye and go on as if we never did it. 
First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39 and 40 says, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be de dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment, Paul said, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. Happier to just leave it alone. Marriage is... The way God designed it is a one-time thing. There's a lot of things I'd like to say here. Let me read another verse here, a couple of verses. In Romans chapter 7, everybody knows that. They know all Romans 7 except this. Don't, people don't pay much attention to this. But chapter 7, verse 2, For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So there's... And you know, you can do whatever you want to with it, but that's what the Bible says about the husband and the wife. And it's always referred to that way. There's a difference. Adultery is adultery. But there, it's, it's a, there's more involved when it's the woman that's the adulteress. There's more, there's more confusion. There's more consequences. There's more to answer for. I'd really like to bore into that, but I'm not going to. This is very straightforward and plain instruction here. It's, very, it's hard to find a way around this. We can all imagine, and we've all known about circumstances where this is a hard thing to explain. When you take a dogmatic stance, like the Bible says here, like Jesus told us here, that God joined them together and let not man put it asunder. I mean, no. Marriage is not to be dissolved. Then all the... Well, now, you just don't know because I know a situation where you just ought to know what's going on there and you'd say, yeah. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Just bear, me, bear with me and hear me out on this. We can all imagine, and we've known these circumstances like that, but we've got to remember that we tend to reason and judge from our own sense of justice, and which is based on sentiment, and for the most part, for the most part and, the, and we do it at the expense of the law of God. We take sides, don't we? We take sides. Without knowing all of the information that's available. I mean... If it's my daughter and it's a bad situation, yeah, I'm going to take sides. So will you. Is that right? Not necessarily. You ever hear there's two sides to every story? And woe unto the person that says, Ditch him! Get rid of him! Get rid of her! Get you another one! You don't have to put up with that. You just got one life. You don't have to live it like that. Woe! unto the person that counsels such wicked counseling. You don't know what God's going to do. And I don't know what God's going to do in this situation. That's true. Man, I've seen miracles happen yes, sir. in situations like that. Where the all-wise, ungodly person who claims to be a Christian who don't know their Bible or doesn't agree with it, 
it counsels people to divorce way ahead of when they ought to. We must trust God and His Word even when it may seem that something else ought to be done. Because the, what the Bible says just won't work in this situation. See, well, that's, that's us. We size it up in our all-knowing human mind and we decide that this is what needs to be done. And we don't even know what God's doing or what God can do or will do if we keep our nose out of it and in our own business. Now, a couple may find reasons to justify dissolving their marriage, but God's Word and their own conscience will always testify against them. It takes a while to, to silence your conscience, override it, override what you know to be right, and go ahead and do it. It takes a little time. It doesn't happen just right out of the gate. It takes a little while. Divorce is never God's will. Never God's will. I will be very dogmatic about that. It's never God's will. It does happen. we got to acknowledge that it does happen. And sometimes it's unavoidable. But that is always because one or both are not willing to forgive and stick with it. It's not God's will. You can't never tell me, convince me, that it's God's will for you to divorce and marry somebody else. Because it's totally contrary to the Word of God. Old Testament, New Testament, the words of Christ Himself. You said, for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, you, you vowed to God before a company of people to your spouse that you would stick with it, that you'd be faithful to them till, you, till death do us part. And then you're going to come up with some excuse because he's just too hard to live with. I just can't stand it. Can't put up with it. Or some other fault of either one. Say, well, you just don't know. I've been married 45 years. <laughs> Ain't nothing you're going to tell me that I don't know about by experience. <laughs> And the same with her. You ain't going to tell her nothing she don't know about either. Just throw that in there. If it does happen, divorce. If it does happen, it does not mean that you're exiled from God and His people and no longer fit for having any part in the kingdom of God. Just let me throw that in there just to season things right so you know just how I'm, what I'm trying to say here this morning. A lot of people feel that way. You know, I've known both sides. I've known uh, in Christianity, in the brothers that I've known, they, some of them, they'll divorce their wife because she just won't keep a house clean. And then the other side would, no divorce regardless of any circumstances, whatever. And if you do, you're totally out. There's just no, no, nothing left for you in the church. Or among the people of God. Forgiveness is... If it happens, it's a tragedy. And everybody involved needs God and His people more than they ever have. And see, you know, that's, that's where we need to... You know, if there's a divorce, it's because there's sin involved. Without question. Well, what did we talk about in Sunday school? What was the work of Christ? 
the atonement for sin. So there's certain sins that God just can't forgive us for, huh? And divorce is one of them. No, that's not true at all. Not true at all. Now, I know, I'm, I was sitting there a while ago thinking about it. All the preachers I've known in my life, and I've known a lot of them that have gotten divorced. And I couldn't think of a one that quit preaching or pastoring because he got divorced. Not a one. That is wrong. There's that husband of one wife. That don't mean one at a time. That means one. Unless it's a biblical reason for having another wife. If she's, if she, she's dead, he's free to marry another woman. But if he just divorced her because he didn't like her anymore, because he found somebody he loved more, then no! And even if his wife abandoned him, it so cripples him as a pastor, not as a preacher. There's plenty of things to do in the kingdom of God besides pastor a church. And besides, the Bible just gave that clear instruction there. Oh, I don't know why there's any controversy over it. The reason, well, I do too, because people just want to override what God has given us here as instructions about how the church is to operate and how we're to behave ourselves among one another. But it's a tragedy. And anybody that has been divorced, and I don't know anybody here that has, if you have, I don't know about it. So, I, if you have, you ought to be the first one to step up and say, he's telling the truth, now you listen to him. It's the most hurtful, most terrible thing that you can go through in your life. Yeah. And it causes way more sorrow and grief and trouble than everybody realizes and knows about. Forgiveness is possible for both parties. And life can go on, but it'll not be the same and there will be deep wounds that will never completely heal. So yes, there's forgiveness available if they will come and repent and believe Him in faith, trust Him in faith. One of God's basic attributes is that He's a just God and He does not punish or exile the innocent victim of a divorce. I'm just like you. I know people. And I can, call, I can call their names, but I am not going to. But I know people, I know women who were abandoned by their husband for no reason besides that he was just a whoremonger. And a, well, is wicked, wicked, who've lived the rest of their life alone. The woman I'm talking about. And poor and struggling to get by and raise their children alone. but kept serving God and being faithful. I know more than one like that. So I'm not condemning the innocent part. I don't believe God does either. She did every, I know these women did everything they could to save their marriage. But it wasn't going to happen because the other party was not willing. So... God will forgive. Now, some believe that the only exception for divorce is here in Matthew 19, if we read on down there a little ways, where Jesus said, except it be for fornication. 
But this is not a command to divorce. A lot of people overlook that. Jesus didn't say, well, if she does that, get rid of her. He didn't say that. He gave that exception, but not, it's not a command. It's not a command to divorce. That word's not mentioned there. But an allowance for the, a man to put away his wife because she's been with another man and is defiled. That's very hard for a man to deal with. And God knows it. But it can be dealt with. And a man can deal with that with God's help. But Gary, just like he's talking in Sunday school of our, your own self, you cannot deal with that. It has to be God helping you or you, you, can't over, you just can't get over that. Now, if a man's to love his wife as Christ loved the church, then even in this matter, which is the most destructive thing that can happen in a marriage, can be overcome. You know, how many of the how many people that are a part of the bride of Christ <laughs> came to him pure? No, no. Think about that a while. That's why that he is uh sanctifying her. So that she'll have not spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. He does that. So when a man and woman stand to make their vows to one another, they should consider this matter and realize that they may face that one day. Now I know when you're standing at the altar getting married, you know, not us, not us. Everybody that's had that happen felt the same way in the beginning. Is this love that you have on your wedding day the kind of love that can endure that kind of betrayal? And forgive? Well, you need to question it then. This love you have. It ain't going to happen. You better quit living in that kind of fantasy and self-deceit. You better face the reality of this sinful world and the possibility and, and ask yourself and examine yourself real well. Is this love I got right now? Is that sufficient to make it through that? Forgive? That comes under the better or worse category. Marriage must be permanent because it's two becoming one. And the, a, a union of two souls that cannot be broken without destroying the lives of both. This is true, what I'm saying to you. I've lived long enough to see this happen over and over and over and over. Not only among lost people in the world and all that, but between people in the church that, that I saw serving the Lord together and having a home full of children and everything was just wonderful and I've seen this happen multiple times. And I've seen what happens to them from there. Yes. Yeah, you stand with me. I'm talking about them getting divorced, blowing the home completely apart and then watching what happens with all the children and with their both of them and their lives. And let me tell you something. It's like Ben said, it's not a pretty picture. Let me tell you. It sure ain't pretty. God's right in this matter. And we better believe Him and we better obey Him and we better get the same view as He has about it. <clears throat> it's the giving of two people to each other completely. 
And what they give to each other can only be given once, and that's very important. And I'm not talking about just what you think I'm talking about. I'm talking about yourself. You can't give yourself completely to somebody repeatedly, different people. You can't. It's, it's something you do. And usually in your youth. And you never know really what you're really doing. That's why there needs to be preaching on it like I'm doing right now. You just... <laughs> what they, it's the greatest parallel to salvation of any relationship on earth. Marriage is it's a picture of salvation. Salvation is permanent, isn't it? I believe it is. I believe when you're born again, you're born again. You're a new creature in Christ. Old things passed away, all things become new. I don't believe that comes and goes. and I don't believe you're in and out, in and out, like some of these religions do. You're either in or you're out. A lot of people try to get in, think they're in, but they're not in. It's the way people do with marriages too. They trifle with it. They treat it lightly as a light thing when they don't realize the depth and the seriousness of it all, what they're really doing. God makes you one. One. He, you, you're united in mind, heart, soul. Your lives are molded together so that children and and family and, and all of your life's experiences are so tied together and woven together. You can't just rip that apart without just wrecking everything. And it does more than just, you know, the, the, I've heard them say, oh, the children will get over it. They'll deal with it. They'll learn to deal with it. No, they don't. They don't. It's the worst nightmare of their life. And they never get over it. It yanks everything out from under them. Now, salvation is permanent. The fact that salvation has become a religion of, well, do the best you can. So what if you fail? You can try again as many times as you want. I, that might explain why the attitude of the world. See, I believe this. Now, you don't believe it. You just wait and study and watch and maybe you will one of these days but I believe that the church is the salt of the earth and the light of the world and what the church adopts as morality and attitudes and all of that that's where the world goes yes. why are we in such a state as we are now because of this wicked world we live in no it's because of the weakness of the church watered down right. yes, and let go of their morals and just lowered the standard in everything. And when we do that, the world just takes it and goes. We are the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. We're the, the factor in this world that keeps things from blowing sky high. If there had been ten righteous in Sodom, God would not have destroyed that place. But there weren't. So they got destroyed. The world is affected by the church. The early church turned the world upside down. But it doesn't do that now, does it? So this weak idea that is being uh, preached about salvation and what it does for a person ha has something to do with 
everybody's attitude about everything, but marriage also, especially. Now, because of the significance of marriage as it relates to the relationship between God and man, those who defile it by living together, shacking, what everybody does now. What's a piece of paper? Now, the Bible calls it chambering. That's the word in the Bible for just shacking. And that's what people want to do with Jesus. They just want to shack with Jesus. They want to try and see if they like it and see if it works. And I've heard them say that. Try Jesus. No, you don't try Jesus. He's not going to shack with you. Do you understand that? Y'all understand what I'm saying there? No commitment, no promises, no vows. Just try Jesus. Just start coming to church, see if you like it. <clears throat> One of our relatives started going to church here a while back, and they promised them that they, if they came three months and they weren't satisfied with how they were growing and everything, they'd, give them, they'd refund all their tithes for the first three months. That ain't very far from here. Yes, sir. More people are smart figuring things out to get them to work, ain't they? They're, you know, living together or dissolving it, the marriage without Bible reasons. These people that shack and dissolve a marriage without Bible reasons are actually blaspheming and mocking God. Because marriage is an institution of God. Marriage is holy matrimony. It's a thing of God. And when you mock it, when you disregard it, when you cheapen it, when you count it as nothing, you're counting God as nothing. There's a lot of thoughts that go through my mind of things I've seen and heard and read. And, and, it may, and I don't like to talk about that stuff, but it makes it a little clearer to you what I'm trying to get across. You know, things I've seen go on in churches and read about and heard about and the programs and the schemes they come up with in churches and it's and that is what I'm talking about right there. Cheapening marriage. Now this happened decades ago. When it when marriage became a bad thing, it was like a funeral. You know, they likened marriage to a funeral. And marriage is undesirable. But the Bible says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers, God's going to judge. And adulterers, he said. They're defiling something that God counts as holy. Better be careful how you talk about marriage. Well, when's the, when's the hanging? You know. You've heard that, haven't you? You know, being married is like, well, I'll tell you, in Mexico, in Spanish, esposa is wife. You know what handcuffs? You know what the word for handcuffs is? Esposa. That's the word for handcuffs. Even in the language, see, it's, it's mocking, degrading, you know, what's the other word I'm looking for? It's cheapening the idea of marriage. Instead of an honorable, holy, godly, Thing. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Yes, it's a good thing. It's a desirable thing. It's God's way. 
It's what He ordained. It, when He, in the garden, when He made Adam and all animals and everything, He said, it is good. And then when He put the woman with the man, He said, this is very good. This was the ultimate. This is God's perfect design and plan. This is how He wanted it to be. And then we say, nah, that's the worst thing you can do. That's the worst way you can live your life. Who wants to get married anyway? Can't do nothing. Yeah, what kind of a mind is that coming from? Think about it. But we listen to it so much, and we, we get in on the jokes, and then we start mouthing the same thing. I say, you well, be careful about that. It's a thing of God, a holy thing of God, and we better be careful. How we treat it, how we think of it, how we speak about it shows utter contempt for God and righteousness and total love and worship of self. We're trashing what God highly esteems. Do you hear what I said? I didn't say that everyone who's divorced is like this, but that anyone who shuns marriage and shacks up instead or anyone who dissolves a marriage without a Bible reason is like that. And I mean that. Now there's things that make it very necessary that the marriage be a permanent thing. Why does it have to be a permanent thing? Do you know there's even birds and animals that mate for life? Isn't that something? Birds. Those little birds that come flying in in the spring like the martins and stuff, they mate for life. A lot of them do. You're not seeing two different birds, you're seeing the same two birds that stay together until one of them dies. I've told it so many times, but <clears throat> when I was a, when I was just a little boy, we lived right down the street here, and I was walking up to the post office one morning to get the mail, and I was probably 10 or 11, 12 years old, but there was a little bird sitting dead in the road, got hit by a car. There was another little bird standing right there just looking at it. And I walked up to that bird, and I said, made some noise, and I put my hand right in front of its beak and did like that, and it just sat there, just stunned looking at its mate. And then people made in the image and likeness of God can just hate each other and fight with each other and want nothing but to be away from each other after they vowed and promised and said they loved each other and had children together and, and wove their lives together and then just... Blow it all to the wind. What in the world? There's no answer except sin. So it's necessary for marriage to be permanent. Children are almost a certainty when two people get married. Aren't they? Most. By far most of the time. And in times past it used to be even more so. There's a lot of people now who say we don't want any children. We don't want any grandchildren. As Jesus said, that would happen. He said that it's going to come when they'll say, blessed is the barren womb. Get that? Jesus said it's going to be that way. It'll come a time when people will not want children. And they'll think they're more blessed by not having them. But anyway, that's just extra. That ain't got nothing to do with it. Children are almost a certainty. And it takes two to, to raise children. God didn't make things so that the woman raises the children alone or that the man raises the children alone. Ask any man or woman trying to raise their children alone how easy it is. Trying to do both at once, 
you know, a woman can work a job and have a career, or she can raise children. But trying to do both at once makes it impossible to do either very well. You all know that's right. The stability of the minds and lives of the children depend upon the stability of their parents' marriage and their being present in their upbringing and training. Children can, they can't grow up with a healthy and stable mind. Oh, I wish people would listen to this. They can't grow up with a healthy and stable mind if their parents' marriage is not a fixed, permanent thing. You understand what I'm saying? If there's any doubt in their mind. I mentioned this, I think, the other day. If mom and dad's fighting, arguing, ill at each other, man, the kids are extremely sensitive to that. And it, uh, and it shakes their whole world. Why can't people understand that? Can't you remember when you were a kid? Can't you remember how it upset you? If anything was wrong, that ought to be enough for all of us to not do that. You got something you need to talk about? Don't yell at each other. And especially in front of the children. And if you got any disagreements, go somewhere else and talk it out. Don't do it in front of the children. You don't understand what long-lasting effects that's going to have on their mind and their spirit and everything. You don't know what that's going to do to them when they grow up and get married. How that's going to affect... They've got to have an example... It strengthens them so much to have a good example of stability in the marriage. When they grow up, they're much more likely to have a marriage like that. And likewise, to the contrary. If all they hear is fighting and fussing and hating on one another and griping and complaining, and they're going to have the same kind of home times ten. Or they just say, well, I don't want that. I don't want to get married. I watched my mom and dad fight all the time I was growing up. (laughs) I don't need that. Children, you know, very few people take into account the damage done to children in all of that and when a home is broken. I mean, my goodness. Just the, the, the not getting along between mom and dad. That's bad and it hurts them. And it, it's bad for them. But when they just blow the whole thing out and say, we're done with each other and we're gone. Maybe I shouldn't say things like this, but I've got some relatives. And, and, uh, and I remember, you know, they were two girls. They were about 10 and 12 years old. And their mama just left. Just took her stuff and left. And her, their dad, well, of course, he didn't know what to tell them or what to do. He, for about two or three days, he told them, he said, well, she's coming back. She just went somewhere, but the girls wasn't that dumb. You know, they knew. They, they said after about two or three days, they said, no, she's not coming back. She took all of her stuff, her clothes, everything, all of her hair stuff and her makeup. She took everything and left. And so he brought the girls down to another relative to talk to them and Asked, him, asked her to explain to them that their mother had left. Now, how do you like that? A mother abandoned her two daughters, 10 and 12 years old. 
What do you think it's going to do to them? Well, they've both not had happy homes. Both been divorced. More than once. One of them don't even want children at all. Grandchildren. You know, what a mess! And you know why? Well, you know why. Why'd she leave? Was it worth it? Was it right in any way? Was there anything right about it at all? How can you fix it? How can you make those girls love their mother and honor their mother? No. And even, even since then, there's been things happen along the way that just blew it even farther out of the water because she's such a selfish, ungodly person that she cares more for money and for herself than them girls. Them girls know it. They knew it when she left them. Children are certainly not counted as of much importance when one parent or both choose to dissolve their home in order to pursue their own lust and fantasies. The woman is bound by the law to her husband and is not and that's just it's not just binding on her, but on her husband also. He's bound too. The woman is bound to their law. A man can't take a wife and then abandon her and expect to have favor with God. He's as bound to her as she is to him. They're made one flesh. They're united. <laughs> Neither one has an out to run off. Marriage union. And, and, and it, look here. Let me see here. This chapter here. Where did we read there? Verses, uh, I forgot now, 2 and 3. I read verses 3 through 6. Yeah. Let me go back here just a second. Uh, so after he said wherefore there are no more twain but one flesh what therefore God had joined together let not man put asunder they say unto him why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away see they knew the Bible they knew what it said you're contradicting he saith unto them Moses because of the hardness of your heart suffered you to put away your wives but from the beginning it was not so there's this little sticky thing right here. Moses did that. God didn't do that. When Moses spoke that, he spoke it of himself. Jesus said, from the beginning, it was not so. He said, uh, uh, from the beginning, it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, and my understanding is for fornication, doth commit adultery. You marry a woman that was put away because she committed adultery, then you're committing adultery. His disciples say unto him, Listen, if the case of the man be so with his wife, what did they say? It is not good to marry. They said, well, Man, if that's the way it is, who would want to get married if you can't get rid of her? What if you get, get a bad one and then there you are, stuck? See? That's just how everybody is. These are Jesus' disciples, men, not, not filled with the Holy Ghost, not even really converted yet. That's their mind. 
And that's the mind of everybody. If you got that kind of a mind, you're in the same boat. You don't understand. About ta- you're not ready to take a wife if you got that kind of attitude in your heart about it. Marriage union is so strong and indivisible that even death does not dissolve it so that as if it, it, as if it never happened. Ask any widow or widower about that. Ask them how strong that bond is. There are cords that are invisible. And there are cords that bind that no one is even aware of until they're broken. There's more to it than meets the eye. There's more to it than we, than we can say with words or explain with words. This bond, this union that happens when a man and woman are joined together. You become one. I know it sounds... I ain't trying to sound, uh, you know, spooky or crazy or kooky, but I'm just telling you how it is. After 45 years, a lot of times... I'm a, she's she. I know. I to say something that she's already thinking about, or vice versa. She'll say something I was already thinking about it. I mean, you you just get in the same channel. You just your your minds become one. You you think in the same rail. Now, there's things that you never get all together here, but I mean. <coughs> When it comes to the things that matter, <laughs> I don't know if she'll ever quit forgetting to salt the food, or you know, I don't know if that'll ever happen. But, but I'm telling you, it is. It is. You just don't know. You just you you won't know until you get there that far down the track. You won't know how it is. How that it, how you do become that way. And Gary, that's what you're talking about in Sunday school, about being one with Christ. The longer you go, walk with Him, the better you know Him, the more you learn of Him, the more it becomes that you have the mind of Christ. You don't have to hear the command. You know. You just know. When you know somebody, you know what they like, what they don't like. You know... What buttons to push and what buttons you shouldn't push. When you know people, and sometimes you just push them for the fun of it, just to liven things up a little bit. So marriage should be entered into very carefully and soberly because it is permanent. I wish everybody would listen. I know that a lot, most of us here have been married a while. You know, some of these others, like Garen Lisbon and Esther, said, what, seven years? Pretty soon, both of you be married seven years. Well, they think that's a long time. <laughs> They're newlyweds. But emotion and sentiment should never be the basis for marriage. And it almost always is. Being in love will not stand the test. I'm telling you. Those who make such commitments based upon their feelings will throw it all away when those feelings cool off a lot more easily. God doesn't let us operate on the credit. 
the blessing and the feelings come after faith and obedience, not before. Feelings follow truth. We must hear the truth, believe the truth, and accept the truth, and obey the truth. And then the emotion and the feelings come. Joy comes from giving, not from getting. People, you know, they act like they're so happy on their wedding day. And I, there is, they're happy. But, uh, but they don't know what joy is yet. Because they haven't really given themselves yet. On that wedding day, you don't just give yourself. That's not the deal. You, you, you're promising to do that. But you haven't done it yet. <clears throat> Wait down the road a few years and we'll see if you really did it or not. Gave yourself one to another. Really were joined together. If you are, the joy will increase as the years go by in your marriage. You're, you'll learn what love really is about. Instead of this youthful infatuation that just makes you feel, have goosebumps all over and just feel so good. And want to be together so much. And that's not real love. I'm sorry. Now it may be the beginnings of it, but it's just the embryo stage if it is at the very best. You're never going to know the real joy. of. And, and where does joy come from? We've just said it over and over here. Joy comes from loving somebody else more than you love yourself. And that's not going to happen until down the road ways. After the investment, after the obedience, after the faithfulness. The reasons, well, here, I'm just about done. Oh, we're good. The reasons for marriage, and marriage vows include this the basic things of life that always change. Have you ever thought about this? Think about those vows. For better or worse. Well, things always get better. Things always get worse. It's always changing. So you, your vow is to take that into account. It's not all going to be smooth sailing. It's not all going to be good. It's going to be some worse than this. And I promise to stick with it. I ain't going to bail just because things get bad financially. Any other way. For richer or poor, that's going to change. Most people, when they get married, don't have a thing. That's just the way it is. Now, that's who was we talking about the other day? Who, who was talking about them? So when they got married, they didn't have nothing. And I know it was. It was my aunt telling us about the neighbors down there. Oh yeah. They got married and rented that house and. They didn't think nothing about it. They just moved in and one day they were down there and said they were sitting in the floor eating. They didn't have no table. They didn't have nothing. They had they didn't even have a bed. Maybe had a mattress to lay on. But they as happy as they could be. Didn't matter if they didn't have anything or not. Well, these kids got to have some furniture. I mean, they got to have it, isn't they? You know. <laughs> That's poor. You don't have a table to eat on. I guess. But then, you know, what about when you get richer? 
But what if things blossom and you just get all this stuff and all this big house and all this opportunity to do things, you know? Well, a lot of people, it ruins their marriage. If they've got a lot to start with, I mean, if it's some rich girl or rich boy and they get married and they've got plenty and then that dries up on them and they get poor, oh, that ain't gonna, that's going to cause problems. What, what do they say is the number one reason why marriage, there's trouble in marriages? Now, they say this. I don't know if I believe this, but they say it's finances. That's the biggest issue that married people fight over. Well, maybe... I don't believe that's the biggest reason they divorce. I believe that they're fighting over that, separates them, and they go find somebody else. And that's why they divorce. Well, for rich or poor, in sickness and in health. We had a guy come to the church one time at Bethel over there. He's Don Green's son, John. His wife is in a wheelchair. They, when they got married, she was fine. But... Six months after they got married, they were in a car wreck and she was paralyzed. Rest of her life. Yep. He pushed her around in a wheelchair. Yes, sir. She couldn't do nothing. Oh. I knew another guy. In fact, he's kin to me. He was 50 years old. He had a stroke. Paralyzed him. His wife left him almost immediately. Yep. She just abandoned him. said, I ain't living like this. Oh, my. I don't put up with this. I know more than one like that, too. You know, and she stood at an altar or in front of a judge or somewhere and she repeated that vow in sickness and in health till death do us part. And then as soon as it happened, what kind of a person is that? A liar. That's right. And worse. The reasons for marriage should not be based on anything that changes. And that's why marriage vows should include all of these things that are certain to change. They ought to put in there, in, in, in beauty or ugliness. You know. Yeah. Obesity and what's the opposite? Skinny. Well, those things change. If you're marrying some girl because she is a knockout and she and makes you the envy of every guy with her on your arm, man, you're in for a terrible time. I told my boys, I said, you ought to find you an ugly girl that's just a little bit overweight. <laughs> they thought that was terrible. You didn't listen to me, did you? That was a good But I said, you know, if... if if you get one of these trophy brides, you're, man, you're going to have a miserable life. These things change. And let me tell you something. This is a fact of life, and I'm rambling a little bit here, but it's, it's a fact. It don't turn out like you think it's going to anyway in all of those matters. I'll tell you what makes your wife pretty and attractive, and that's loving her. If she's happy and content and loved, there'll be a beauty about her that is not like this world's beauty. And it won't matter if she's a little overweight or whatever. That's the truth. 
I've watched that. I've made it a matter to, to pay attention to that. Paint don't make you pretty. You know, Brother Parker said, if the barn door needs paint and paint it. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's only God who never changes. And so the love that we base a marriage on must be the love of God and not our emotional infatuations. We've got to love the soul of our spouse and not the things about them that are bound to change. And that takes time. And that takes sticking with it through all those things that you agree to in your wedding vows. You know... I've got a book that somebody gave me a long time ago for weddings, but I don't use that thing. I mean, I think there ought to be much more in those vows than those few little things. So, you know, it's <laughs> every wedding that I have anything to do with, that's the way it is. Right, Esther? Yes. yes. You know. <laughs> right, Elizabeth, you remember? Had a hard time remember, repeating all that stuff. <laughs> Marriage is a holy thing. And marriage, God's way, is not a very common thing in this generation. And it ought to be a matter of serious prayer for one another as Christians. We ought to pray for one another's homes and marriages and reinforce these truths here in our conversations with one another. You understand what I'm saying to you? We should edify and encourage one another mm -hmm. yes, in all of these truths that we're talking about here. Yes, and not only that, but we ought to pray for all these young people growing up among these children and young people among us here that they have this concept of what God has ordained marriage to be mm -hmm. and not the world's, not polluted with the world's ideas at all. When you, when you marry... So Brother Burns always said, when you marry wrong, you're, you're wrong for life. There's a lot of truth in that. It's a fixed thing. When you marry, you stay married to that same person, regardless. They may be, the, hopefully, they'll be the greatest blessing of your life, but it could be the other way too. But you're still married. And you just have to do the best you can do as far as the kingdom of God and all of that. The option to just say, well, I don't like this, so I'm going to dissolve this is not available. And having God at the same time. Do you understand? You can go down to courthouse. They will be for you. But when you do, you leave God behind. God's not going to smile on you. God's not going to justify you. God's not going to take your part when you're doing contrary to what He has clearly commanded and shown us in His Word. So we ought to pray for these young people and we should earnestly pray now that these children, that they all find a husband or a wife that has been taught the same and believes the same. Because it takes two to make it work. If one refuses, that's what happens. Divorce happens. And, and it's a terrible train wreck. It's not a simple, easy thing. It is a, and it's not something that you just get over and put behind you. 
I go on and on, but man, I know people, I know lots of people that have been through this. And I know what their life is like now. And I know that they never got over it. And they never were the same. And they never were as happy or content as they thought they would be in another marriage. It's a bond, it's a thing that once you break, it's a, it's a string that once you untie, there, there's no tying it again. You, you destroy, dissolve, do away with your first marriage. The second one is just a whole lot easier to do. You don't have that same commitment as you did the first time. And especially people committing adultery, you know. There was this thing I read, I don't know, years ago or something. But anyway, this man and woman, they were working at the same place, which is very conducive to this. But they fell in love. Baloney. They both divorced their spouses and got married and thought they'd live happily ever after. But you know what they found out just as soon as they got married? They didn't trust one another. Because they were both cheaters and liars and vow breakers. And so they couldn't get along because they, 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 any time they were apart, it was like, what is he doing? Who's he with? Who's she? You know, something's going on. No peace, no rest. That's how it works. Yes, sir. <laughs> Be careful about getting married. You girls... I don't know where Alyssa's at. I can't see her, but she's hiding in there. The nursery. Oh, she's in the nursery. Alyssa, you in the nursery? You hearing me? Be careful who, who you marry. You better be certain that God's in it. Don't deceive yourself by saying, God's in this and it's just words. When God's in something, you just know. You just know it immediately. There's just peace. When there's, he that doubteth, he's damned if he eat. You know, that's talking about food, eat, uh, sacrifice to idols, meat sacrifice to idols. But it's a truth. If your heart condemns you, God's much greater than your heart. But if, if there's no, no contradiction, no, no stump you're running into, then you better realize that it's for good. Yes, sir. Yeah. Serious matter. It's just an element that's a part of the home that has to be. The children and you yourself, the wife and the husband both have to know that things are secure. Have you ever told your wife, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee? I heard a man talking about that one. You know, they'd had big trouble. And his wife was, she thought he was going to leave. And that's what he told her. He said, I'll never divorce you. I'll never leave you, no matter what. You know what kind of security and peace and how that just wraps, he's the husband, you know, how it just wraps everything together. Don't worry about that. That's not going to happen. That needs to be both ways, too. Yeah. Yes, amen. I mean, if, if Jesus said that to us, 
Are we obligated to feel the same way toward Him? He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. You ever told Him that? I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. I ain't going nowhere. That does something with your walk with the Lord too. Yes, sir. That's drawing nigh to God. That's what that is. All right, bow with me and let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God, the truth here. Please help it to be received, Lord, among those who really need it. Lord, it's, 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 it's concerning to us, the young people, the children, and the world they're growing up in, and all this, this diluted, false information that's been thrown about and that they run into it every hand. And Lord, even among us, we treat marriage as too light a matter. And Lord, I, I just really kind of hammered hard here this morning and I, I pray that you'd bless it to our hearts. Help us to go away with this fixed idea that a marriage is for good. Because it is. And you've shown us that clearly. And Lord, help us to live it. Help us to joy in that fact and not be grieved about it. Lord, go with us now, I pray, and, and help us to understand this rightly in Jesus' name. Amen.